0: the truth is that emotional neglect is not about you it's the level that your parent or the person in your relationship is at and has nothing to do with your worth each of us has a unique journey and some may be at different stages of development part of our purpose on earth is to accept and give space to people to be where they're at and allow ourselves to keep moving forward and grow My name is Francesca Phillips, and you're listening to The Good Space Podcast, a show where we help you find peace and power in work, relationships, and intuition. Have you ever felt conflicted when listening to a podcast episode because you wanna take notes on the insights that you're receiving, but at the same time, you're cooking or cleaning or working out and it's not really convenient to do so? Well, we have got you covered. Starting in September, we are going to have a paid membership where after every interview that's released on the Good Space podcast, we will create a one page PDF of all the greatest insights and takeaways from that episode, as well as action items that you can do to integrate the learnings from that episode. So you can cook clean, do whatever it is that you like to do while you're listening to a podcast. And then later, you know, you will have the great takeaways and the notes that you need to integrate it into your life. So it's a win-win. You will also get monthly email courses on topics like law of attraction, ego, wealth, manifesting, teaching you ways that you can integrate those principles more into your life. We'll have free iPhone wallpapers, coloring pages with affirmations as well as community activities like weekly stand-ups or we could do monthly q a's a lot of it is still being built and created with input from the community so if this sounds awesome to you and there are other things that you would even want to add to it like please get on our waiting list let's chat join the membership join the community because you will also be supporting the good spaces mission which is to help people get the tools they need to feel peace in their life so There's so much goodness that comes from this. Go to the show notes, sign up for our waiting list, and let's go. All right, I am recording this on my bed again, like I did in Minnesota too, because I actually felt more chill and I feel like the way that I was speaking was more relaxed. So I'm going to try it again this time. So here we go. I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic today. It's something that really just like blew my mind and it actually was a topic that was recommended from a listener of the podcast. So I hope that you find this information as valuable as I did. Today, I want to talk about the effects of having emotionally immature parents and how to heal yourself. This episode is inspired fully by Lindsay C. Gibson's book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents jennica from the good space community messaged me after reading it saying she thought it would be a great topic to speak on she was without a doubt inspired to share it so thank you jennica because the book changed my life and i'm grateful for that and for you and i have a feeling a lot of listeners of this podcast are going to love this and resonate as well so yes i'm so happy My hope for you after listening to this episode is that you'll have the ability to create boundaries with ease and focus on living from a true authentic space rather than spending tons of time and energy on a parent who won't change. And also that you'll see certain elements within yourself so that you can have the choice to outgrow it or create a more balanced coping style for the world. And that's what I definitely got from this. Not only did I have more compassion and understanding and love for my parents. And I got more patience for them because I understood where they were coming from and their limitations. But then I also learned about coping styles that I developed because of that immaturity. And now I have the choice and awareness to be able to change that and to become better for the future, which is amazing. Like There's just so much goodness that comes from this book. I can only give you a summary of what I've learned and compile the best parts of it that I think will help you. But if you truly want to dive into this, you need to get the book. And it's not super long, but it's chock full of so many valuable tips and information. we can't change people. Most people don't want to be changed. If they did want to change, then great. You have information to give them. But I'm hoping that this can give you the space to not only not blame yourself and to not feel like you're not worthy because someone else is limited, but also to release and let go what you can't control. I hope you can get clarity in your own relationships with your parents or anyone else. There's a lot of hopes in here, but if anything, even if you just want to listen to this and feel good and just have something playing in the background. That is okay too. This is always here for you to revisit. And we have show notes with everything that I'm saying. So feel free to soak this in as intently or as passively as you want. So I deeply believe that when you stay open to healing wounds and understanding your triggers, God universe gives you exactly what you need to achieve it. This book, like dozens before it fell into my lap right when I needed it. And I hope that this can be that moment for you too. Okay. So what are emotionally immature parents? Emotionally immature parents are ones that are afraid of emotional intimacy and often pull back or resist genuine emotional closeness. Children often feel painful emotional loneliness because of this. Even if they were well taken care of or verbally told they were loved, that doesn't mean that their emotional needs were met. So important. So your parent could have been so physically loving, taking care of all your needs, verbally saying they loved you, but that doesn't mean your emotional needs were met. And it doesn't mean they're horrible people. Emotional loneliness is a sign that they haven't had enough emotional intimacy with other people, meaning children. So emotional loneliness in children is a sign that they haven't had emotional intimacy with other people. Without this crucial emotional intimacy, various symptoms and behaviors can arise Some children believe putting other people's needs first is the price they have to pay to be in a relationship. And there are a few other things as well, or beliefs that they can create. And a lot of that's mentioned in the book, but essentially they feel like it's their fault. Okay. I'm going to share a little bit about my own situation just very briefly to add a little bit of tangibility to this. So both of my parents grew up in emotionally immature homes. My dad from an abusive one, he left home at 17 to join the Air Force, got a business degree and swore to be the complete opposite of his family. He did a great job, and it broke a lot of cycles from his upbringing. But naturally, he also didn't know how to process his emotions. He never saw that as an example in his home, and was basically just left to survive. Like, he was in survival mode a lot. My mom was raised by two Italian immigrants who knew zero English when they moved to the United States. She had to pay their bills and take care of other tasks because they couldn't. Although my grandparents were hardworking and big dreamers, they too didn't have a certain emotional maturity. The reason I share this is because having emotionally immature parents can stunt a lot of their children's emotional growth, but it doesn't mean they're bad people or unlovable. Quite the opposite. If anything, by understanding emotional immaturity, you will feel more compassion and forgiveness for your parents or someone else's parents. To be clear, that's not the case in every situation. Some home environments can be truly toxic and even dangerous, so don't confuse this with condoning or excusing truly toxic behavior. Okay, now that we got that foundation set, what is emotional intimacy? When we feel anger or frustration, sometimes it can be from a lack of understanding, When we don't understand why we feel certain things about our parents, it can add not-so-good feelings in the mix. But once you start to understand better, it can humanize them and hopefully give you the tools you need to decide how you want to move forward in the relationship. This book unravels a bit of the massive web that is human psychology and the complexity that's added onto it with relationships. What's typically missing in a relationship with an immature parent is emotional intimacy. Here's how Lindsay C. Gibson describes emotional intimacy in the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. She says, quote, emotional intimacy involves knowing that you have someone you can tell anything to, someone to go to with all your feelings about anything and everything. You feel completely safe opening up to the other person, whether in the form of words, through an exchange of looks, or by just being together quietly in a state of connection. Emotional intimacy is profoundly fulfilling, creating a sense of being seen for who you are. It can only exist when the other person seeks to know you, not judge you End quote. With emotionally immature parents, they don't notice their child's inner experiences. They often fear emotional intimacy because they're uncomfortable with their own emotional needs and therefore can't provide fulfillment of their child's needs. Gibson says such parents may even become nervous and angry if their children get upset, punishing them instead of comforting them. This reminds me of that well-worn saying of when you're in a plane and the oxygen masks come down, you put it on yourself first because if you don't have that supply, how could you possibly give it to other people? And it's the same with self-care. Like if you don't have energy and feeling of self-care, how could you possibly love or give that to someone else? And it's the same thing here. People who don't allow themselves to experience their own emotional environment or fulfill their own emotional needs, how on earth could they actually provide that to someone else? So it makes complete sense to me. Now that we have that, and again, I'm very briefly tapping into each of these so that you can get a taste of what these issues are. And if you want to go deeper, you should read the book. So let's get to the symptoms from having emotionally immature parents. So what does it look like to be affected by emotionally immature parents? Some signs are that you feel like you've never truly belonged to any group as if you're an outsider looking in, shut down your emotions instead of listening to them, settle for emotional loneliness and relationships because that's what you're used to, play whatever role you believe your parents want you to play to try and strengthen connection, you don't believe someone would want to have a relationship with you purely because of who you are that you must always put them first to earn that place. You feel guilty for feeling sad or down, even if everything on the outside looks good. You lack confidence that others could be interested in you. You feel like a bother for telling someone else your needs. So those are just a few of the traits that a child may have if they're affected by emotionally immature parents. The book has a way more extensive list of statements that can help you verify if you are affected by an emotionally immature parent. And the cool thing is there's also an assessment you can fill out for each parent or step-parent you have to see if they are in fact emotionally immature and to keep things condensed. I'll name a few of the signs, but again, this is hardly everything that was listed. So an emotionally immature parent uh, doesn't validate your feelings and instincts. They have overreaction to minor things, a lack of empathy or awareness, saying or doing things without thinking of others' feelings. They have low stress tolerance, they're reactive and unable to anticipate the future, instead using coping mechanisms to deny, distort, or replace reality as shared by Gibson on page 29. Regulating emotions is tough for them, and it's often hard to calm down after getting upset. Another one is they're inconsistent. They're sometimes wise, but then they're sometimes unreasonable. Their conversations center on the parent's interests or stories bringing it back to them always. For emotionally mature parents, facts and logic were no match for their opinion. That's a big one. They tend to be black and white thinkers that aren't open to new ideas. They can become very successful when there's a clear path in front of them. But when moments require emotional decisions, they can either be super rigid or super impulsive. So very black and white and closed off to other ideas. And they can become defensive when other people bring up ideas. And then another thing is they tend to do what feels best. If you've listened this far and the alarm bells are sounding off, then here's the deal. I want to buy a copy of this book for the first person who emails me at francesca at findyourgoodspace.com. This content is so important. Just put the word book in the subject line and let me know you heard this. And if you're the first person, I'm going to get it for you a part of the book that talks about coping mechanisms that children tend to create when they have emotionally immature parents. And that's what I want to talk about. It's really, really eye-opening. And just to give you a little bit of background, there are generally four types of immature parents, which you can read more in depth about in the book. But I wanted to share with you again, the two coping styles that children of those parents tend to fall into, internalizers and externalizers. When you have immature parents, you're forced as a kid to adjust to their limitations. Obviously, you wouldn't be aware of it as a kid, but they want to fill that emotional void and feel like it's their fault, that it's up to them to fix it, that it's up to them to feel noticed, cared for, and engaged with. That's when the creation of a healing fantasy comes into play. The child imagines what would make them feel better and often think they need to change themselves to do it. You can read more about healing fantasies and role selves, again, in the book. I'm going to say that a lot because in case you want to dive into different parts But it's important to understand the difference between this and the coping mechanisms because they rob all of us of the vitality of our true selves. So having a role self where you feel like you have to fill a role to have a relationship robs you of your vitality. Healing fantasy, thinking it's on you to make up for limitations, robs your vitality. As Gibson says, quote, you can't forge a deep and satisfying relationship from the position of a role self. You have to be able to express enough of your true self to give the other person something to relate to. Without that, the relationship is just play-acting between two role selves, end quote. That's super interesting, right? If you don't feel comfortable enough or know yourself enough to be able to express your true self, you actually can't relate to people. And that's kind of scary because I feel like I definitely have experienced that where I felt like I was in a role self. And thankfully I'm learning to just be who I am. Um, But it's a very interesting thought. So now let's go to the coping styles that we talked about. So internalizers versus externalizers. And even if you have beliefs that fit in both styles, based on your personality, you'll have adopted one style over the other. And ideally, you want to find a balance between the two. An extreme of either style can be detrimental. So even if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm an externalizer, don't worry. The fact that you're even aware and open to understanding which one you fall into that's already an amazing foundation and start to balance the two and you're able to do that, which is really great. It's not like you're just born that way and oop, that's it. You can't change. Right. Okay. So let's start with internalizers. I really feel like a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people in the good space community are internalizers just because they are people who love to learn things and they, they self-reflect and learn from mistakes. And I feel like if you are part of the good space community You obviously like to learn and to grow and to self reflect because that's a lot of our content. And if you're not, that's totally fine too. But I'm excited to see which camp you fall in. So here are some of the qualities as outlined by Gibson. So, internalizers are mentally active and love to learn things. Problem solving happens from the inside and out. They self reflect and try to learn from their mistakes. They're sensitive, they try to understand cause and effect. Life is seen as a chance to develop themselves. They enjoy becoming more competent. Again, the good space community. They believe making things better depends on trying harder. Their biggest sources of guilt and anxiety are when they think they've displeased others or fear being exposed as an imposter. Their biggest relationship downfall, they're overly self-sacrificing and then resenting how much they've done for the other person. So you can see that there's a lot of positives, but then... If it's too extreme, it can warp into a detriment. So let's go to externalizers. Children who externalize their problems believe it's up to others to change things. So this is where it gets tricky. It gets trickier for externalizers because at least internalizers, they can self-reflect and they can see mistakes and learn from them. And they often take the responsibility of what's happening. So they're more likely to be open to change and to growth. But with externalizers, they believe it's up to others and everything outside of them to change. So it can be a little trickier for them. So here are some of the qualities, again, outlined by Gibson in the book. Externalizers take action before they think. They're reactive and take impulsive action to alleviate anxiety they're not as self-reflective and assign blame to other people or circumstances rather than themselves. And I feel like even assigning blame to, oh, I'm not feeling well, or I mean, I guess feeling well, obviously that's subjective and, and there's times for that, but it's almost like, yeah, you just blame every little thing like, oh, there was traffic or, oh, the weather wasn't good or, oh, like every excuse that it's not you kind of thing. Life for externalizers is a process of trial and error, but rarely do they use their mistakes as a way to do better. They see their happiness as dependent on change happening in the outside world. Their coping style is often so destructive that others have to step in to repair the damage. They feel like victims and like competent people owe them help, and that good comes to others unfairly. They either have super low self-confidence or a sense of inflated superiority. Since externalizers depend on external soothing, they can be susceptible to abuse, addictions, and immediate gratification. Their biggest source of anxiety is being cut off from the external sources that give them security. Their biggest relationship downfall is being attracted to impulsive people and being overly dependent on others for support and stability. Again, this barely taps the surface and Gibson continues on in the book, about how each coping style interacts in the world, what it looks like, how it feels. She gives examples and also recommendations about how to balance the two. So we've linked the book in the show notes, which you can find in this episode description. So go there if this speaks to you and you wanna continue reading on it. I'm also curious to know which of the two you see yourself most in, an externalizer or an internalizer. Let me know by leaving a comment on our show notes linked in the description for this episode. And I know this feels like we're done, but just really quickly, I wanted to go over the cure for emotional loneliness. Gibson says, emotional loneliness is a term that suggests its own cure, being on the receiving end of another person's sympathetic interest in what you're feeling. For emotional connection, it needs to be with someone who's interested in really understanding you and your experience. So again, I'm going to just give you some of my brief takeaway, but... The first step I would suggest you take is to start listening to your emotions and allowing them space to exist. When you allow your emotional needs to be known, you can have genuine connections with others because you're having a genuine connection with yourself. If you give yourself the space to feel what you're feeling, to recognize what you're feeling, you can do the same for other people, allowing them to show up and be there for you as well. I also want to share Something that Jenica emailed me about her biggest takeaways from the book. And I really like what she shared about how to be observational. And so I'm going to use exactly what she says from the email. She says, first and foremost, the tools that the author provides for interacting with emotionally immature people, as outlined on pages 146 to 150, have been freeing for me. The description provided about becoming observational has helped me tremendously. I absorb the steps by, mer- by reminding myself, one, center yourself. Two, notice and name. Focus on observing the other people and on your internal reactions. Three, remind yourself to detach if you still get triggered and it's necessary. This is like a meditation. I feel that I am so much better equipped to stay balanced around my emotionally immature parent. There you have it. So there's a lot of information in this episode. If you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment on our show notes and we will definitely answer for you. And I hope you really enjoyed this and that it planted a seed for you. And I want to hear like, did this spark something in you? Did it awaken something in you? Let me know. I know that Jenica and I must not be the only people experiencing the effects of emotionally immature parents and like the coping styles and like all these different things. So please feel free to leave a comment or you can go to our Facebook group and start a discussion about it. Either way, sending you so much love and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day, week, weekend, whenever you're listening to this. Now it's time for an affirmation. I allow myself to be who I truly am and interact in the world as a healed and whole self. If you found today's tips inspiring or thought-provoking, share it right now on social media and make sure to tag me at Francesca A. Phillips or at Find Your Good Space and also weigh in in the comment section at findyourgoodspace.com. You can find links in the show notes. And if you have a spiritual or mindfulness problem that you want me to unpack on an upcoming The Good Space episode or an awesome manifesting story you want to share, give my podcast phone line a ring right now at 917-719-0867. Also, don't forget to download my free morning routine guide. It's what helped me reduce my anxiety, increase productivity, and so much more. The link to everything I mentioned is in the show notes. See you soon.